0: fellow traveller to the Tent Talks podcast, where we fight bad ideas with good ideas. Join Dr. Stephen Backhouse and friends as we pursue the renewing of our theological, social, and political imagination.
1: From time to time, churches and other groups hire me as a tent theologian to act as a sort of consultant, helping them think Christianly about whatever it is they're going through. St. Luke's Church in London hired me a few months ago to go through the Sermon on the Mount with them, and I recorded a series of conversations with the vicar John and with other guests who came and joined our conversation from time to time. They were kind enough to allow these recordings to be released on the podcast. I hope you enjoy hearing them as much as we enjoyed making them.
0: Great to be joined by my friend, uh, Dr. Stephen Backhouse, as we journey together in the Sermon on the Mount. Stephen,
1: welcome. Lovely to see you again. Good to see you again after our various exciting adventures (laughs) away. You've had a bit of a
0: break in your back garden. It's all good. It's all good. Here we are. Here we are. And so we are exploring the Sermon on the Mount. Today we are finishing this little moment with, with the Lord's Prayer. A bit that, if you remember from our, I believe our previous episode, we kind of went around it. We went before and after it, and uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, where we looked at because we went
1: into fasting. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. We went into fasting after giving and prayer, taking our that which should be private, uh, yeah. and and being challenged not to make it so public. So here we are, uh, but in the middle of that passage that we looked at not so long ago is the Lord's Prayer. So shall I read it for us today, Stephen?
1: Yeah, go ahead with your
0: Tom Wright. Yeah, I got my N.T. Wright translation. So verse seven of chapter six of Matthew's gospel until verse 15. When you pray, don't pile up a jumbled heap of words. That's what the Gentiles do. They reckon that the more they say, the more likely they are to be heard. So don't be like them. You see, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So this is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, may your name be honoured. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things we owe, as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. Don't bring us into the great trial, but rescue us from evil. Yes, if you forgive people the wrong they have done, your heavenly father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly father forgive you what you have done wrong.
1: Mm. (laughs) Is that it? You stop there? You stop there. Wow, wow, wow. So the famous Lord's Prayer. What do you think? Uh Well, again, it's, the, it's
0: one of those things that familiarity breeds contempt. Slightly in that when you're so familiar with something, I almost kind of forgot I was reading the NT Wright translation and kind of slipped into the translation that I'm used to. Yeah, right. Um, it's so easy, isn't it, to kind of oh, I know what this is. I, it's one of the first things I learn in, in a church environment. I'd like to. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it towards the end. But you know that passage at the end where it talks about forgiveness, really hard hitting about. That sense of, you know, unless you're willing to forgive others, how can you expect God to
1: forgive you? Yeah, right. Terms. Yeah, we could definitely talk about that. We'll talk about that. I, I mean, there is a, fun, there's a funny fact of uh, biblical, a biblical trivial fact is that we have lots and lots and lots of recorded prayers from Jesus's followers and from the first Christians, like in the book of Acts and in all of Paul's letters and all of Peter's letters and all of James's letters. Guess what? They never seem to ever repeat. <laughs> <laughs> yes. They true. never actually pray the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, it's true. And we have yeah, and lots of recorded prayers.
0: Yeah, and even um, instructions for the Eucharist communion that Paul quotes are, are verbatim the words that Jesus spoke at the Last Supper. You know, when he quotes them in 1 Corinthians, even those are repeated words. So you'd think that if they were really repeating them, they'd appear somewhere.
1: And that's probably worth even paying attention to what this is, so do you remember the Sermon on the Mount is the the rule of life for the new people of God kind of idea, so it's like peoples of God get rules of life that's what that's what they do, and here Jesus says, "Okay, you're my people, you've crowded around me, so here's your rule of life. you have heard that it was said, but I tell you and he does that thing so mm-hmm. then one of the one of the things that comes is well uh people of God we pray three times a day don't we Mm. and and if you'll remember from the praying when he says when you do your prayers don't do it to be seen by people do it to be seen by God well Mm. the prayers that you do that's what this is about so they were like public recitations of the psalms and various formulae prayers and Jesus is not actually saying formulaic prayers are bad and reciting the psalms is bad and repeating a liturgy three times a day is bad he's not saying that at all he says when you do that here's the prayer you can use yeah so it's it it's assumption is a three times a day corporate liturgical act that much like if you were just out in your business and going about your business and then you realized it was noon you would stop what you were doing and you would say you're Your Jewish prayers now, he wants the followers to do the Christian prayer, so it isn't like saying, Don't ever have a spontaneous prayer or don't pray anything except this. Like, he's not saying that it's more like, Oh, you got your three times a day prayer, it helps set the rhythm of your life. Here you go, yeah. Uh, And then there's all the other spontaneous ones on top, which are like the ones that we read about in Paul and Acts and all that,
0: yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. But I'd never noticed that before. This idea that he hadn't, um that we don't hear it anywhere else when we when when i've taught on the lord's prayer before it's actually i've not used the matthew version i've used luke or um, mainly because i like the way it's set up that it's the disciples asking teach us how to pray yeah um and it's interesting they don't ask jesus to teach them to do anything else no right they 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 want to know how to pray i think probably because jesus has already taught them those things and most of their observations of Jesus praying is him by himself, you know, who goes up to the mountainside, he 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 takes himself away from them. So, you know, as far as they can see, it's this kind of very private moment. So they want to kind of the one uh, thing they okay. can't absorb ab- us how
1: you pray kind of thing.
0: Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I've I've often liked it when it's been set up to be a disciples asking, Teach us this one thing, please. This what is this? This is your kind of secret. The thing that keeps you going um, each day.
1: Well, before we skip too quick, yeah, now, this is where the Gentiles have shown up for the first time. Okay. So before he's been saying, "Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be like the scribes." Yeah, he's he's pointing out the kind of Jewish figureheads. Don't be like them. Yeah, and it's all been about the law and the Hebrew scriptures and things. And yeah. now he says, "Don't be like the Gentiles," which is they've just shown up now for the first time. And it's and again, it would be like a an obvious the context here of course is that people from lots of different walks of life and nationalities have been flocking to jesus so he's got a multi-ethnic crowd in front of him he's sort of referencing that right yeah kind of to the group that's mainly it's going to be a mainly jewish group but to the mainly jewish group he's saying don't be like the pharisees don't be like all these people but then there's always going to be a pocket of other people around and he goes and you guys don't be like the Gentiles." (laughs) And he kind of draws them all in together. And he says, don't babble a lot. And he uses the word, which has connections, which possible connections to, Bab- to the Tower of Babel. Oh, okay. And all right. So Babylon, um, the story the, the story of the Tower of Babel, of course, is that the Babylonians thought that their tower was a gateway to the gods. And in Genesis, the, the it's kind of a joke because the, the Hebrews say, your word Tower of the God, sounds like our word for babbling and and confusion, yeah and then you get the story about how they tried to build the tower and they got lots of they were cursed with lots of multiple languages, yeah, yeah so there's a sense that the pagan and of course the Babylonians were the the pagan Gentile empire that was ruling the Hebrews at the time when G- Genesis was written down, so it's a real like satire against the ruling empire. that's interesting. And Jesus is also now kind of making something he's like, don't, uh, my, my translation here says, don't pile words one on the other, like the pagans do huh. don't build towers of your words, like the babbling Babylonians do. Right? Interesting. Yeah.
0: Which again gives a, is, is echoing that same, that same, um, thing, uh, of Babel and the tower again, you know, it's almost like the words are physically a tower
1: trying to reach to heaven. Yeah. Through yeah. Through, through, through your own strength.
0: So um, what? why is he particularly referencing the Gentiles? Is it just to kind of bring a, a holistic, the whole of his teaching is Jewish, you know, scribes, Pharisees, and now Gentiles, or or is it something that the Gentiles were known to do?
1: Well, yeah, okay. So first of all, I think he's doing it because it's a reference to the types of crowds are in front of him, and he's drawing from all their points of reference. But mm. then also, yeah, there is that kind of Greek-Roman religion, which was a kind of a sophistry it was about it was about clever words and and linking words together really well okay i think there were some greek religions or or the various cultic practices which had to do with with repeating the same phrases over and over again you'd go into a sort of a trance by repeating the same phrases over and over again i'm not sure of the exact reference here if there is one if it's maybe just jesus is just in a little bit like he's he he makes pretty broad, sweeping statements about Pharisees. He's sort of making another one here about Gentiles, but again, it's a little bit like he's attacking that that same idea of there might be a hint here that the the Gentiles are trying to be impressive to other people yeah. rather than to God.
0: And that's of course the context for this whole section, yeah. isn't it? It's exactly. all about
1: that's what would tie these together. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's about public show showmanship. Well, I think we talked about it in other other translations earlier. It talks about uh, play
1: actors the hypocrites
0: people are on the street street corner yeah going off
1: and a little bit like you know we have every time a president in america is is inaugurated there's always some famous celebrity christian who comes and does the prayers and it's always a big deal and it's always yeah. you know front page news or it's a big it's kind of mean something if you're invited and i think those are the kinds of prayers jesus is saying don't do
0: <laughs> yeah
1: the ones that you are are clearly more about being printed the next day in the newspaper than are about actually praying. So do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him, verse 8, right?
0: So that, that that in and of itself is an interesting prelude to then saying how you should pray, because it obviously leads to the point, it's like, well, if your father already knows what you're going to say before you say it, it kind of undermines the need to pray in the first place. That seems to be the kind of the first thing you might say.
1: Only if you think prayer is about changing God's mind. But if you don't think prayer is about changing God's mind, then more options open up.
0: It is true. You know, I've come to kind of learn more to understand that prayer is much more about changing me than it is about changing
1: God. Right. And we're going to start to look at this because obviously I like to wear my political theology hat on. We're going to look at how how much the Lord's Prayer is about, uh, uh, I guess, what we call co-labouring or co-participation in the kingdom with God. So it's a prayer, but it's, and it's a praise. It's a prayer of praise and it's a, uh, it's a reminding God of God's goodness, but it's not, it's not like a real kind of petitionary. We'll, we'll look at this. There's the daily bread in there, but it's, it isn't a kind of a, oh, we, we're, we're doomed unless you change your mind. Oh Lord, please change your mind. It's, it's not that at all. It's a, Jesus is saying he's good. He knows what you need. So this is how we pray. This is how you pray to a divine being who's good and knows what you need already. Right. And, and so it sort of changes your mind because you're not trying to convince this divine gas in the universe to bend to your will. Hmm. You're actually trying to work with the one who is already working in the world and you're trusting that person is already good. Yeah. You're not like a pagan who's not quite sure or is trying to, you you know, like the pagans have these capricious gods that you never really know what they're going to be like and uh and just saying he's not god is not like that he knows what you need and the word father there i mean again we're going to talk about our father it's famously called the our father right mm-hmm. and this is this is a new it's not like the first time father has shown up in the in the gospel of matthew but it's it's the first sort of it's a significant moment here in the in this sermon on the mount yeah that you're being instructed it's not just like the name of god but like the kind of attitude of god Is being set here, Hmm. right? And then there's this idea that that you can approach God like, even though you are evil, you know how to good give good gifts to your children. So much more as the heavenly Father gives good gifts to those who ask, right? It's that sort of idea.
0: Yeah, and, and and like we talked about, if indeed God does know what we need, and the first thing we need to understand about God is that He is our Father it takes prayer away from, like you said, this kind of strong arming God into doing what we want to do. And in fact, moves it towards what actually uh, all the way through this thematically is this idea that God is, that it's about us aligning our will to his, you know, all the way through this is about, is such a focus on God and who he is and his agenda
1: it's yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. It's all about us aligning our will to God's will. It's not about bending God's will to ours. Yeah. How but, much
0: is that not what we experience as prayer most of the time?
1: Well, exactly. Exactly. I don't think a lot of people wouldn't think that way in their heart of hearts. They might not have been stood up and taught that from the pulpit or anything, but that's the message that we get. Mm-hmm there are all, there are a few bugbears that we that keep popping up like there are I know I'm a bit of a broken record but there, <laughs> one of the ones that comes up a lot is the individualization right yeah so yeah. for various you know accidents of history we have individualized and and but like we've made jesus all about your individual salvation we've we've yeah. reduced the scope of the gospel to to saving you we've made the idea that the kingdom is a movement that you're a part of like that we've turned the kingdom as a movement you're a part of into a place your soul goes to when you die. Yeah. 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 So what we've done and, and and we've then turned all and because we've so emphasized, well, we believe in salvation by faith and not works. We've so addicted to that, that we've completely forget how much works are actually in Jesus's words and how much works are in the Bible and how much the, the new Testament says now now that you've been saved by grace, this is what a saved by grace person does. Yeah. And we just ignored all that stuff and it's become really individualized. But of course this is what happens with these prayers as well, because then we think of prayer as my will. It's just me in the world. Really. It's just me in the universe. God seems to be only caring about saving my soul kind of thing that he doesn't seem to have any other cares in the world because politics doesn't matter. Ethics doesn't matter. How I work Monday to Saturday doesn't matter. It's only my my inner spiritual soul that matters. Yeah,
0: that so at so some even point, our
1: prayers become just self-reflective, self-regarding prayers.
0: That at some point I've said the right words in the right context to say I'm a follower of Jesus and, and that's kind of it.
1: Yeah, and, and prayer is just always about the inner self as well. So there's, I mean, a part of the story is the story of, like self-reflection and um, the kind of Puritans and the the early Protestants had a real sense of like wanting to examine themselves and examine their souls. And they would get writing, they'd write diaries and they'd reflect on themselves. And obviously it's like not, that's not the worst thing that's ever happened in the world. Yeah. Become more self-aware. But one of the fruits of that is that we have inherited, if you're a Protestant, you've inherited a Christianity that is very, uh, developed when it comes to self-examination and self-care
0: yeah
1: at and the expense underdeveloped when it comes to yeah are you part of a movement that actually has a meaning and is a has yeah. contours that are recognizable to people outside of your own inner life
0: because what we're not saying is either or what we're saying it's both and
1: yeah well i mean the, the sermon on the mount has it does care about your inner life so it says like if you're angry with somebody it's like you murdered them if you lust after somebody it's like you had adultery with your wife like Jesus cares about your inner life for sure but that is not the beginning and the end of Jesus's message to you
0: yeah
1: and we're going to see this like the, the the Lord's prayer is a corporate prayer which is more like a manifesto for a kingdom movement and the praying is not it's about aligning yourself to God's will on earth as in heaven it's not about getting your soul right with God yeah
0: well, why don't we transition then into the Lord's Prayer itself, having some yeah. context for it. So tell us, tell us where, well, obviously we start with who we're praying to. We're praying to our Father.
1: Our Father, you know, who art in heaven. Yeah. Remember, again, I know it's the same few notes I keep hitting it over again, but remember heaven, right, is not the place you go to when you die. When you hear that word, like when you're first century Jewish-Palestinian and you hear that word, you're not thinking like, pearly gates and golden streets and harps and wings you're you're thinking oh yeah heavens heaven is where god is reigns unopposed yeah so our father who is in the place where he's reigning unopposed right (laughs) who's in the state of being unopposed so right away you're being reminded of like he's a father he's good and he's we're reminding God of his own goodness that he's in the mm-hmm. place where he's unopposed. Right. Like yeah. So we're putting ourselves in that mindset. We mm-hmm. want to be people who are not opposed to your will. And then let hallowed be your name or let your name be holy. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you think about that word hallowed or holy? What does holy mean to you?
0: I normally, I normally define it as being set apart. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I would define it. When I look, think about it, you know, I think of the holy ground. I think of Moses taking off his sandals, and you know, he's on holy ground when he, when, the, when there's the burning bush. I think of the holy of holies. It, it is where the presence of God is so manifest, in a sense, that it is that it's, it's only good. It's the goodness of goodness of God in that space. Yeah, that is to be untarnished by anything else. Um, there's a kind of perfection about it yeah right and the only holy holy place purely holy place is is where the presence of god is
1: uh, it's funny when you mentioned the word set apart i kind of what my mind went to the word church or mm-hmm. ekklesia i i listen i don't know i <laughs> i don't know if there's a connection here i'm not trying to say there's a huge connection i'm not i'm not saying this is what matthew was writing about however in it is significant that the word ecclesia which is the word where we get our word from church yeah. From,
0: yeah gathering
1: right it only appears in the gospel of matthew as well so in all the gospels jesus only he he doesn't talk about the church anywhere except in matthew so matthew okay. puts he has jesus say the word church once in matthew 16 and then once in matthew 18 okay so when he says peter you you're the rock and on this i'll build it okay. yep yeah. And then he says, My church, I'll build my church, and the gates of, gates hate of hell fail yeah. against it. And then there's the conflict resolution of when you take it, if your brother sins against you, take it to the church, right?
0: Okay.
1: So that word, ecclesia, means a group set aside for a common purpose. And you just mentioned holiness being set aside. And I, I feel like if I was an undergraduate going to write an essay, I'd probably make it, I'd probably. Make a good six thousand word essay out of that.
0: <laughs> That's so interesting.
1: Yeah, something about being set aside. You you set aside for a purpose as well. You're not just sort of taken out of the world. It's like you're holy because you are active in the world. It's not because you're separate from the world. Yeah, it's because you've got a you've got a role to play.
0: Yeah, which is this whole image that you know when the very famously Paul would say you're in in the world but not of it. It's kind of yeah. Yes. you're You're an agent of good that brings goodness and the kingdom of God to all those that you are around, but ne- it necessitates you being around others in order for that to have any impact at all. If you just completely kind of you're a hermit over there and no one ever sees or t- you don't have that same you know it's like an ingredient in a sense in the in yeah.
1: the mix and in, i mean here jesus is also making a connection when he says let your name be holy he's making a connection to the hebrew traditions that he's that are his because of course the name of god yahweh is not a name that you would pronounce right yeah. and it's called the tetra i can't pronounce uh,
0: tetragrammatron.
1: it tetragrammatron, yeah yeah which is the four letters yeah without the vowels yeah four consonants and and um and these are like the, you don't pronounce the name because you are, it's deliberately set aside or set apart to be holy. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't mean that God is absent in the world. So remember that earlier when Jesus talks about, don't make your oaths, we talked about this a lot, but like, don't swear by your head or don't swear by Jerusalem or don't swear by the heavens because God is everywhere. Right. So there isn't the sense that they're not saying God is holy, which means he's absent from the world. It means God is everywhere. (laughs) So, when you're yeah. saying "Holy is your name," you're not saying like there's a little part of the universe that has God in it, and the rest of it doesn't you're yeah. saying you're actually infused for it through everything. We want to almost be alert to the, your presence in every part of the world,
0: which again ties into the image that he talks about being salt of the earth
1: yeah and, exactly right you
0: know if you if you add salt yeah. or sugar into a into a mix when you're cooking, it infuses every part of that you know yeah every part of that mixture yeah and and yet doesn't lose its core identity you know salt makes the whole mixture more salty and it the grains of salt or whatever are still their fundamental saltiness you know they 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 haven't lost their saltiness they but they have made everything else salty in return and um and that's again another image that Jesus talks about the role of what we are to be as people of the kingdom
1: of God Right. So now this is where the this is where the co-laboring stuff gets to show up, because what's the next verse, right? Yeah. Now, this is let your kingdom come, let your will be done. Yeah. On the earth as it is in heaven. So this is so opposite to what a lot of Christians have, have think in their hearts, which is that the kingdom is the thing that's distant from the world. But then if you think, no, the kingdom of heaven is where people say yes to God. Jesus is saying may people say yes to god now may your will be done now on this on earth as it is in the place where people say yes to god hmm. so it's it's not like may we escape this earth and go to heaven it's right. may the veil be lifted between that's between heaven and earth right now right. between the realm where people say yes to god and the realm where people say no to god we don't want we want there to be no division anymore. Yeah. And it's like the the temple being torn in two, the temple curtain being torn in two. It's that kind of idea.
0: And I think in in certain charismatic circles, you will get a greater sense of heaven being uh, a place of the presence of God. Yes. But I think it flits the other way where it's much more. It's it's almost like a spiritual over experience. It's about an experience of the heavenly realms that is kind of otherworldly. It's and while there is a bit yes, of that, that it sometimes loses its kind of grounding in the day to day spirituality of people saying oh, yes to God in their workplace and in absolutely, their, families. yeah, absolutely.
1: And it's here, it's here in the text, right? So, the, the technical or theological term for this would be realized eschatology or yeah. over realized eschatology. Yeah, so,
0: yeah,
1: eschatology just means talking about the kingdom that is to come or the end the end result the the final days, right? When everything's come to completion, that's what eschatology is about. And a realized eschatology says, you know what? Like the things that Jesus predicted have actually are happening or they have happened and they're still happening. And then an over-realized eschatology says like, there's nothing more to do yet. Like it's all done and uh, we can experience everything now. And I think, I think most most Christians throughout history have looked, have just used their eyes to look around the world and said, mm, I, I don't think it's all done. <laughs> I yeah. don't think the world is, is completely living, but then you're right. Like a lot of the, the kind of overrealized eschatological people we get, the Christians we have in the charismatic circles, they hear the word like heaven on earth and they immediately go to things like signs and wonders and yeah. Yeah. healing and prophetic insight. Yeah. And, Jesus, is, that's not what he's talking about. He's like, yeah. may your will be done. And then a lot of charismatics will go, oh, that means raise the dead. And Jesus, that means heal the sick. He's like, no, we've just been reading what his will is. It's not a mystery. It's not a superhuman. So some, so sometimes a lot of us Christians, especially the charismatic ones, we, we kind of think that God's will is that you will be a wonder working miracle worker. or. If you're a more conservative evangelical, you're like, God's will is a mystery for me. I don't know what it is. You know, I don't I have no idea what God's will is like. So it's either. Uh, also, kind of- I
0: think going back to that kind of picture you painted of, you know, most people look around the world and think, well, no, how on earth can you have a an overrealized eschatology when you see the problems of the earth that we yeah. face? And I think that what that can lead to is, is significant doubt in anything even vaguely charismatic, or and so yeah, you right. avoid you avoid any sense of overrealized eschatology at all, and you probably have what is an underrealized eschatology that you say, well, no, that we it's everything is doom and gloom, there is nothing of the kingdom of God at work, we, you know, and and so you end up with kind of I think within the Christian sphere two extremes. Yeah, you have, you have those that kind of want to deny the work of the kingdom of God or or limit the kingdom of God in such a really finite way. And those that kind of have their head in the clouds, somewhat in a kind of spiritual way, and it's over-realized, over-spiritual, and it's not at all kind of grounded in, in the day to day. And I think what, what you're saying, it seems to be is that there's a middle ground here.
1: Well, and also, but I, but also like, let's look at this. It says your, let your will be done. And we've already, it's not a mystery. We've already been told what God's will is. It's in chapter five. (laughs) like it's how to live yeah it's like may your will be done like the, the whole theme here is not raise the dead and walk on water and and that it's may when i am sued by somebody may i have the ability to give my cloak as well when my enemy hits me in the face may i have the ability to stand there and turn the other cheek which is why it's a
0: prayer because otherwise we wouldn't be able to do it
1: well, yeah. And it's part of us aligning with the yeah. will of God, which yeah. has been revealed to us. And yeah. it's in the Sermon on the Mount. That is the will of God. Right. That is Jesus saying you can say yes to God now. This is what it looks like. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you and you do it and you live that way. And that is heaven. That is and, saying and because, yes because to the God
0: thing now. that stops us from living that is our own will.
1: our own desires
0: our own propensity to say if someone hits me around the face i'm going to hit them back or which is
1: why i often talk about it as you can pretty much sum up all of that stuff in the new in the sermon on the mount as don't clutch tightly to what is rightfully yours because it's the clutching tightly it's the sort of oh i this is owed to me or this is mine or there's limited goods so if i give it away then i'll never have it again that's the attitude that leads to all sorts of horrible Mm. sins in the world that's what leads to hell on earth basically if you want heaven on earth, you give away. If you want hell on earth, you clutch tightly.
0: And if you want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, it means saying yes to him, yeah. which he has articulated yeah. as to how that looks Yeah, in only a couple of pages prior to encouraging right. us to pray
1: that. The way, the way of Jesus, the way that he's spelling out for us, that is God's will. So with the, the Lord's Prayer is just a reiteration or a reminder of that. It's not. Yeah. It's not this kind of like weird sort of, oh, your mysterious will for the future of the universe. May that come to pass. <laughs> like that's not what they're talking about here, right? They're reminding themselves of may may we be good servants and co-workers with you in the kingdom.
0: Yeah.
1: That's um, yeah, good. And give us today, and then immediately it follows, right? Because you've just you've just sort of it's quite a big deal. Like what you're saying is give me what I need today to do the work you've asked me to do. Yeah. Because that's not easy to stand up against enemies or people who are persecuting me or yeah. whatever. So give me today my, the bread that I need.
0: And and again, what makes me think about this is, is, um, you talk about, you know, when when we are making a stand, it's in the face of Temptation, or it's in the face of our enemies, or whatever you know. However, we want to, you know, couch that, and then we're asking to pray for our daily bread. And I think about Jesus facing his enemy in the wilderness, uh, yes. and he is encouraged, tempted to turn a rock into bread to feed himself while he was, you know, essentially incredibly hungry. And he says, "Man does not live by, bread. yeah, and right, him. yeah, right." And and you wonder actually that sense of it's a sustenance to do what God has called us to do, but it's not simply the physical bread that we need, but it is an understanding of his word as well. I mean, I, to, to bring that into it as well.
1: Yeah. The, yeah. And, and there's just something, there's like, it's a little mystery here. This is one of the new, this is one of these kind of linguistic mysteries in the new Testament, which is this phrase daily bread, which isn't actually a common phrase at all and translators always struggle with it because it's one of those ones where familiarity can definitely breed contempt because you just think oh yeah give us today our daily bread like i've seen that on a poster i know what that is (laughs) when actually the phrase is really a bit complicated because it's kind of odd it's there's a it's actually a little bit apocalyptic do you know the you know the word apocalyptic do you know what that means
0: um i don't i don't formally
1: know i mean the the joke the joke is that don't, if you don't know what apocalyptic means, don't worry; it's not the end of the world. <laughs> because we often think of apocalypse mean as like fire coming out of the sky and yeah. lava, earthquakes, yeah. and monsters, yeah. and it's just the end of everything. Yeah. But the genre, there's in, a, in the New Testament and the Old Testament, there's a whole type of writing called apocalyptic yeah. literature, like
0: of Daniel which the Book of
1: Revelation, Revelation is one.
0: Yeah.
1: Of which Mark, the Gospel of Mark, has some in it
0: yeah yeah and
1: it doesn't mean the end of the world it means the end of an age and the beginning of a new one yeah okay so an apocalyptic is always talking about the end of one era which is giving birth to the a new one right yeah and here this is an apocalyptic phrase because it's something like uh give us today our provision that was going to come tomorrow it's like we want, and because we just prayed for God's kingdom to come. So it's, and it's related to that. The idea is that like, give us today, what was going to come, what we, what we are sure was going to happen tomorrow anyway. Okay. And it's a little bit like, we want the end of the era to happen now. Okay. We want your kingdom to come now. Think Again, I, I, I don't know about this, but I find that there's some connection or an interesting connection because the, the story of the prodigal son was that he wanted his inheritance now.
0: Yeah, okay.
1: And he got it, by the way. The father gives it to him and then the prodigal son goes and squanders it. It, uh, This is, give us today our daily bread is a little bit like saying, give us our inheritance now, which Mm. is part of that realized eschatology that we were talking about. Yeah, wow. And then of course, if you've been given the nourishment or the provision that you need, then in verse 12, excuse us our debt, just as we have excused our debtors. So again, there's that idea of like, you you can be, a you can afford to be open-handed. You don't have to clutch tightly to your resources when you already have everything you need. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: And again, it's kind of aligning. It's not trying to change God's mind. It's trying to align us with, with the character of God already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah, do you think yeah. about verse 13?
0: My translation says, um, don't bring us into the great trial, but rescue us from evil. It's always a bit of debate as to, in the translation we often use in church, is don't lead us, uh, lead us not into temptation.
1: Temptation, right.
0: Yeah. And, but, but I think there's often been a lot of debate as to this idea that God could lead us into a place of temptation in the first place. Well, you know. Right. Motivation for that. Why Why would he lead us to temptation? Now, that said you know the spirit led jesus into the wilderness which is where the temptations took place you know so it's not without yeah. biblical precedent that where god leads can lead us to the place of temptation the question is whether jesus is whether god is intending to lead us into temptation or to the place where temptation happens to take place
1: if you still to I, me mean. i think it's so interesting that you you brought up jesus going into the wilderness because I've, I've just noticed something here in this text right yeah go on well it's like do not lead us all right. So I, I think the word temptation might might have baggage that that is unhelpful here because we do think of temptation as like a demon on your shoulder tempting you to do something or whatever. Right. But it's more like deliver us from the time of testing or from the yeah. from the it's a little bit like you know how they talk about uh, the refiner's fire like you know where the refiner where the where the metal in the refiner's fire is going to purify us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to be I don't want that to happen. No. I, I would like to be delivered from that time. It's a little yeah, bit like, spare <laughs> me. I don't want to be tested, but if I am tested, I want to come through. Okay. Right. It's a little yeah. bit like that. So it's not like, yeah. it's not like a, a, an evil thing that God is putting you through. It's more like, Lord, spare me from being tested. I don't want to be tested. My worth to be proven to you. I don't want the, my quality to be tested a bit like Faramir from Lord of the Rings. Uh, I don't want my quality to be tested, but if it is tested, then I want to be good, right? So there's a little bit of sense of like, Deliver us from the time of testing, Mm. which isn't necessarily saying, God, you're doing the testing. It's like we don't want to live in a world in which we have to be tested all the time, Mm -mm. which is fair enough. But then you brought up the thing about Jesus in the wilderness, which I noticed, because it says, bring us not to the time of testing, but deliver us from. Now there is an ambiguity here and it's one of these ones where matthew is kind of deliberate about it i think because the word is um poneros sometimes it means the evil person right sometimes it means satan Hmm. and that's why some english translations of the lord of the lord's prayer will say deliver us from evil and some say deliver us from the evil one yeah okay and quite frankly they both have legitimate reasons to be translated that way because matthew uses sometimes he uses that word meaning people who are kind of bad and sometimes he uses it to mean satan and so when you brought up that jesus was taken from the time of testing into the wilderness well who did he meet in the wilderness yeah and i think there's something that there's no accident here that satan shows up here again yeah because satan is this remember satan is a political demon he's 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 the guy that deals with power yeah yeah always yeah and and here he shows up again now even in the lord's prayer or even if he's not showing up the people who are enthralled to the way of satan are that might be a better way of thinking about it it's like when you act in the opposite to the way that the sermon on the mount asks you to act you are now acting in a Satan-like way. Hmm. Because we talked about grasping, right? Like that's what Satan does. He grasps power for himself. He he says, Hey Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, why don't you clutch tightly to what is rightfully yours and turn these stones to bread? Hmm. Why don't you show off on in on the temple? Why don't you bow to me and worship? And then all these things that are rightfully yours will be given to you. Mm-hmm. And Jesus' response is to always resist that, right? Because he's like, I'm not here to just get what's rightfully mine. Yeah. And, and see, there is a sense that even here in the, that Satan is showing up even here in the Lord's Prayer. Yeah.
0: Well, it's made me think because we referred to um, Jesus in the wilderness and the temptation with daily bread. Yeah. And we referred to it again here. I've never seen any comparison done with the Lord's Prayer versus the experience of Jesus in the
1: wilderness. I wonder oh, what Absolutely, happened. there's a connection. Yeah, yeah,
0: there seems to be a side by side. You know, it's worth doing a comparative study, almost. Yeah,
1: there's all. there's absolutely a connection. There's there's daily bread. There's the the word for Satan and for the evil one. Yeah, there's the time of trial. Yeah, yeah,
0: and, and it's, it's this idea
1: reminding it's kind of believers, followers of Jesus, reminding themselves of the story of Jesus, and yeah, yeah, knowing they need to emulate him, but also not wanting to. <laughs> <laughs> Because Jesus also prayed, right? That His, again, this is this is similar to Jesus' yes. prayer in Gethsemane, which is not my like. Uh, if if yeah. if you is Your will to deliver me from this time of testing, I would love to be delivered, but not my will, but Yours be done. Which yeah. is what we're basically praying here in the Lord's Prayer.
0: Yeah. And then it's interesting is the prayer ends and we don't get the bit that we normally pray, um, which got tagged on by the church at a later point. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory.
1: Um, I don't know the story of that. It's it's in brackets in mind. What? How does yours get written?
0: I, I don't get anything in mine at all.
1: Just taken out. Just taken out.
0: It's understood to be that that, that was added at a later point. And in fact, in certain church circles, I find myself saying that end bit, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, and everyone else has stopped. And it's because they don't say it. I can't, I can't. It may even be the um, Catholic Church doesn't say that bit at the end. I can't remember exactly. They do or it. they
1: don't say. it. I can't remember.
0: But I can't remember. But there, there are certain places where they just don't say it because it's not there. But instead, Jesus goes in, goes into this. Yes, if you forgive people the wrong they have done, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive people, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you what you have done
1: wrong. Yeah. Way. I mean, <clears throat> this does require a little bit of a, not indulgence, but I'm gonna. You know, I do need to ask the audience to to slightly allow this to allow me to to talk about this a little bit. All right. Go or for to it. change the, your imagination a bit. OK, that I, I do think now, if you really like if you were really convinced that God acted on a kind of a. If we do one thing, then he'll do it like if we can manipulate God and if and if, if we make a mistake, then God is going to judge us. And if we hold bitterness in our hearts, then God will not forgive us. If you already have a really convinced idea that that's the way God works, and then you read this, this verse, this one verse, you'll be confirmed in your vision of God, right? Okay. But if you didn't have that vision of God ahead of time, yeah, imagine that you had a vision of God, which is more like what Jesus said God was like, okay. which is he always knows what you need before you ask and that kind of thing, or that that uh, God is always patient or his kindness moves you to repentance like imagine that God was actually like the God that Jesus said he was
0: yeah
1: and then you read this verse which is by the way couched in a whole lot of other verses which are all about God not actually giving us what our punishments deserve so one of the things that we uh he just we've just said forgive us our debts as you've forgiven our yeah we we want to forgive the way you've forgiven our debts so we've just reminded ourselves of God's forgiveness yeah yeah and now it looks like he's doing a bit of moral bookkeeping here where you put a little bit in column a and then you balance column b but another way of thinking about it which i've been saying trying to say before which is there's quite a long strong line in the new testament actually where that god's punishment for sin is more that it's the consequences of your own sin are felt as the punishment right So Jesus will say in one place, you know, if you if you persist, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. That's not God's punishment for living by the sword. That's the natural consequence of living by the sword. Yeah. OK. And the measure you use will be used against you. Like what yeah. you put out in the world is what you will get back. How you treat people is how you will then create the reality in which that's what happens. People treat each other the way that you choose yeah. to treat them that we are co laborers. We have a we're not just billiard balls bouncing around this world without really touching the sides. We you have responsibilities and when you act, people are affected. Which is why people
0: kind of have this weird they confuse that with a kind of karmic understanding of the world, which is to say, mm. you know, fate goes around, comes around. Oh right and 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 they are they sound like the same thing but actually they're they're incredibly different and then people get caught up and they say I'm being punished by God for things I've done in the past and it's like well it doesn't work no. like that that's no. not because then you then you don't then you misunderstand grace yeah. But, yeah but equally there are those that say but God's forgiven me why should I have a you know and it's like well no they're a human consequence this is just human wisdom if you if you are active in breaking human relationship, then you should expect a human consequence for that. It doesn't mean God hasn't forgiven you. Or it doesn't mean God hasn't covered you with his grace, but there is a human consequence for that, that we all have to live out the consequences of our choices. Right.
1: And, and those consequences feel like unforgiveness
0: and yeah.
1: it's connected. It's absolutely connected to Matthew 18, which I already mentioned before, which is yeah. the other time that Jesus mentions the word Ecclesia, which is the whole thing about, When your brother sins against you, take it to the, we don't have time to go into it now, but it does, that, that passage ends with whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then the immediate story after that in Matthew 18 is about forgiving 70 times seven, right? And the the idea here is, is that uh, how we treat each other right now, you and me, John, like the forgiveness that we offer to each other, if we've pissed each other off. That is a function of heaven right now. Okay. If I bind you or if I loose you, that is your will be done on earth as in heaven. It's one of those moments where we are now elevated to being like fellow actors in the kingdom. It's kind of like Jesus saying, if you forgive each other, that's as if God is forgiving you. And if you don't forgive anybody, that's as if God is not forgiving you. Yeah. Because we've just prayed for our kingdom to come and the will to be done on earth as in heaven. So the, what do you think that looks like? That that means it looks like when you act, it's God is giving you the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And so you've got to use them well. How are you going to use them, right? So there's a little, there's this parallel here. of Like Jesus saying, if you live a life of unforgiveness, you will experience a life of unforgiveness. Yeah. If you Live a life of forgiveness you will experience a life of forgiveness. Uh, and I, so I, I would want people to read verse 14 there in conjunction with um, Matthew 18 or with Paul's letters, like just to kind of slot that. Let, let yeah. the other experiences of the early Christians think of themselves as participating in a movement called the kingdom of God and thinking of sin as that God gives people over to their own desires When they rebel against God, he lets them rebel and they experience in their body the consequences of their sin. They experience it as a punishment, but it's not God zapping them. It's them getting what they already want. And I think there's something like that happening here, even with this forgiveness language. So if you choose to live a life of bitterness, God says, "Okay, you will live a life of bitterness.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, And it will be experienced as if I was punishing you. And it, mm. you won't be forgiven. You won't live a life where forgiveness happens in your life. Mm. Uh, but later on, he says, but if, if they would but turn, I would heal them, Jesus says. Yeah. So I, I, I do want to you know keep saying that. I don't think this is an image of some sort of implacable God yeah. who's yeah. judging you. I really don't think that because that's not what we get anywhere else.
0: Well, let's close it off there and uh, finish off our term together, our time and our term together. Mm. Um I'm going to pray I'm going to pray the Lord's prayer as it's been given to us and as we close for this yes. for this season so we say our father in heaven may your name be honored may your kingdom come may your will be done as in heaven so on earth give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things that we owe as we too have forgiven what was owed to us don't bring us into the great trial but rescue us from evil Amen. thank you for listening thanks to david backhouse for the theme tune and to chris marchin for editing and all the other music this show only exists because of support from listeners like you if you have found something we made to be useful please consider becoming a patron at the 10 talks patreon page or leave a good review on whichever podcast platform you use to listen.
1: This really helps. For more information, visit www10